everybody, it's me, the spooky ghost of Hob. Okay, so I know by the time you're listening to this, the veil between the world of the dead and that of the living has once again closed itself, and it is no longer Halloween. It's kind of a shame the timing on that, because if they just stuck around another day, then the dead could have gotten some really good deals on discount Halloween candy. But we recorded this the day before Halloween, and we're talking about a tale that takes place on Halloween. So, you know, I'm the spooky ghost of Hoboo, and maybe I'm a vampire. It's kind of a vague accent. Started off full of ghost, now it's Transylvanian. I'm the ghost of a vampire! That's pretty scary, huh? Sorry about that. I I didn't mean to scare you too badly. I hope you didn't die of fright. You're just having some Halloween fun, you know? Ooh! Like that. Anyway, we got a bunch of stuff to talk about, so... Without any further ado, let's do this. Bald Mountain's peak was shrouded with a hilltop mist, which provides a spooky setting for this synopsis. <laughs> Marvel feature number two, March 1972. Nightmare on Bald Mountain. Written by Roy Thomas, drotted by Ross Andrew, with inks by Sal Buscema. A bunch of evil witches and warlocks have dressed up like druids and decided to prance around Bald Mountain in the rustic town of Rutland, Vermont. They're doing a special dance in an attempt to summon their master, the Prince of Evil. Mephisto? Nope. It's a evil flame-headed guy from another dimension. No, not Surtur. Man, Marvel Universe is a complicated place. The flame-headed evil cosmic entity these Yankee occultists are attempting to summon is in fact the Dread Dormammu. Dormammu appears to them for a second and big dogs the shit out of the lead warlock. He's like, I don't get why you assholes are dancing around tonight. You know I can only come into your world on Halloween and that's not until tomorrow. Dumbasses. Hope you get that sacrifice ready, you idiots. Then he closes the portal that he was talking to his minions through. Dang, Dormammu. Guess I don't have an HR department in your dimension. Meanwhile, in his Greenwich Village brownstone, Dr. Stephen Strange, the Sorcerer Supreme, is gazing into the Eye of Agamotto, the crystal orb which alone may see and tell all things. It's basically his version of the internet. The eye shows him a picture of Dormammu climbing through a giant space vagina in a rural New England town. The good doctor gets understandably spooked. You gotta be careful when you Google image search, Steve. He decides to calm himself by using the eye to cyberstalk his pals Namor and the Hulk. The Hulk is stomping through the woods, and the Prince of Atlantis is snoozing on the beach using a rock for a pillow. Aww. Strange is interrupted from his online creeping by the sudden appearance of the astral form of his old, and I do mean old, mentor, the Ancient One. The Ancient One is acting super squirrely and tells his former pupil, Hey, I got some important stuff to tell you about Dormammu if you'll just follow me out into the sky, but like, really far out into the sky. Steve's like, okay, that doesn't seem at all suspicious. He goes all astral and follows his teacher's ghost outside. Bad move, Steve. You just got tricked. While Strange's form is off flying around outside, the druid-looking assholes from the beginning of the story break into his house and put a whammy on his body that won't let his soul back in. Oh no! 
Strange's faithful manservant Wong comes in and tries to kung fu the asshole wizards. He's doing pretty well, but then the occultists cheat by punching and kicking him. No fair. They grab Steve's comatose body and skedaddle back to Vermont. Shortly thereafter, Clea stops by the brownstone for a visit. Clea is Dr. Strange's student-slash-girlfriend from another dimension. I also think she's Dormammu's niece? Something like that. Wong had phoned her because he was worried that Steve had been spending too much time on the mystical internet lately, and he was hoping she could distract him. Um, okay. Upon arriving, Clea revives an unconscious Wong, who fills her in on the kidnapping. Fortunately, Strange didn't get a chance to clear the Eye of Agamotto's browser history, so Clea is able to use it to contact Namor and the Hulk and summon them to New York. Hooray! Although seriously, Steve, you've got to clear your browser history. Meanwhile, the town of Rutland, Vermont is preparing for their annual Halloween parade. Hooray! A local event organizer named Tom Fagan welcomes a young couple to the event. Hmm, those two look kind of familiar. Why... It's Jean Thomas and her husband, Roy. Wow, Jean Thomas, author of Night Nurse. And her husband, Roy, who I think might have also written some things. Roy and Jean ask Fagin if he knows anything about creepy old bald mountain on the outskirts of town. Fagin tells him that that creepy old mountain is super creepy and a ton of creepy stuff has happened. Jean and Roy appear appropriately creeped out. Meanwhile, Namor and the Hulk respond to Clea's summoning and head to New York. Hulk runs afoul of some cops. They shoot at Hulk, so he throws a train at them and tells them to go away. Fair enough. The Jade Goliath and the Avenging Son of Atlantis meet up with Clea and Wong in a secluded alleyway. They disguise Namor by dressing him up in one of Steve's old suits and jamming a fedora onto his weird-shaped head. Hmm. So now we know that Doctor Strange is super privileged, has been spending a ton of time on the internet, and owns a fedora. <sighs> I am going to be so disappointed if it turns out that the Sorcerer Supreme is a men's rights activist. Female Ghostbusters, by the vapors of Vishanti, this must not be! He'd say. Clea hypnotizes the Hulk to turn him into Bruce Banner, and hands him a fistful of tranquilizers to keep him from hulking out. It's a little weird to see Banner gulping a pile of downers, but when you think about it, this is Greenwich Village in the 70s. Plus, it's almost Halloween. From media portrayals of that era, it seems like they must have been handing out lewds to trick-or-treaters. The quartet of incognito heroes takes a bus up to Rutland and makes their way to Bald Mountain, where Clea's mystic senses tell her they are needed. Sure enough, they find a coven of occultists that is about to sacrifice Doctor Strange to Clea's asshole uncle Dormammu. Namor leaps into battle and starts punching wizards. At first, Banner is still too stoned to be any help, but... Then a bunch of the druid-looking assholes try to stab him, and he finally transforms into the Hulk and gets down to some serious smashing. Hooray! Despite Namor and the Hulk's best efforts, it looks like Strange's lifeless body is about to be fed into that dimensional rift that looks like a cosmic space vagina, and Dormammu will be unleashed on the Earth. Shitty. Things look pretty bleak for the Earth, but suddenly, Doctor Strange's astral form jumps out of Wong and re-inhabits its original body. Turns out Steve's ghost had been hiding in Wong this whole time. A newly revived Strange engages in a furious wizard's duel with an enraged Dormammu. When it appears Strange has the upper hand, the flame-headed fiend launches a desperate attack, which causes an avalanche on Bald Mountain, crushing his followers under a ton of rocks. Whoopsie! Hulk and Namor manage to shield Wong and Clea from harm, and the space vagina closes back up once again, sealing Dormammu in his home dimension. The defenders stand tall atop a pile of rubble and dead wizards and witches, and the Earth is once again safe. For now... 
And seriously, Steve, you gotta start clearing your browser history. Then we get a Submariner backup story called The Hidden World. It's a reprint from Submariner number 35, which came out in November of 1954. Written by Bill Everett, drawn by Bill Everett, with inks by Bill Everett. Oh no, I've just said Bill Everett's name three times in a row. He's going to appear behind me and, I don't know, give me a sketch of the Submariner? Is he? No? I don't see him, but I'm going to keep an eye open. Did you know that scientists have long suspected that the Earth has a secret moon that we can't see? Which scientists? I don't know, probably all of them. Anyway, it turns out those scientists are right. The reason we've never seen this hidden moon is because it is directly between the Earth and the Sun. Always. Because that's how moons work. Except sometimes. Because every once in a while, this hidden moon gets really close to the Earth somehow, and it blocks out the Sun. And when that happens, all of the water on Earth gets sucked up and goes to that hidden moon for a while. Because of science. Anyway, that just happened and everyone is freaking the fuck out and has no idea what is going on. The UN figures that the Submariner is probably behind it because he hates surface dwellers so much. Well, no dice, UN. Turns out having no water sucks even more for Atlanteans than it does for us surface dwellers. Namor's American pal Betty calls him up and warns him that the world's governments are after him again. What else is new? The Atlantean prince puts on a nice red sweater and visits his pal Betty. She gives him the scoop, which makes him double pissed at surface dwellers all over again. So he forms a cunning plan. He digs up a secret stash of water and hitches a ride on it all the way to the hidden moon. Whee! When he arrives, a bunch of funky-looking hidden moonians tell him not to worry. After a couple of hours, all the water will go back to Earth except for a tiny bit that will stay on the secret moon in some underground caves. Namor is all like, fuck that. You guys should keep all the water. Forever. That'll show those stupid surface dwellers. Okay. As a stupid surface dweller, I know I shouldn't be saying this, but fuck yeah! God, I love Namor. Back on Earth, Namor's mom somehow gets wind that Namor might be mixed up in all this crazy stealing all the Earth's water business and sends her son a telepathic message saying, Hey honey, I know you hate the surface dwellers and all, but not having any water really sucks for those of us who breathe water, so just keep that in mind. Okay, love you. Bye! Namor gets his mom's telepathic reminder that water breathers breathe water, just as he is finishing up helping the secret Moonians lock up all the water. And he's like, oh shit. Hey, you guys, you gotta give the Earth back its water now. And they're like, no, fuck you. You just told us to keep it. And Nomura's like, no, fuck you. And he punches the Moonians and smashes the reservoirs he just finished helping them make. The water goes flooding back to Earth and takes Namor along with it. Hooray! Atlantis celebrates with him, and Namor muses that the stupid surface dwellers probably won't even thank him for deciding not to destroy the entire planet after all. Fucking ingrates. God, I love the Submariner! And joining us once again is my spooky brother, Cory. Cory, how's it going? That was a pretty good ghost noise, huh? That was a very good ghost noise, Cory. I'm very proud of you. That was wonderful. Thanks. It's going good. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm a little bit spooked because it's Devil's Night. Almost. Oh, wait, no, that's what they call the night before, right? According to the movie The Crow, which is pretty much the only time I have heard of this, yes. Okay. Have you seen The Crow at all recently? Not recently at all, no. No, neither have I. Mm -hmm. I remember it being pretty good when I saw it. Mm -hmm. I think that may be a false memory. (laughs) Yep, we should uh, put that to the test. We really should. I was talking with somebody about that movie and they were like... So you remember that movie, The Crow? I was like, I kind of remember it. I remember thinking it was pretty cool. 
my best friend in high school was a big fan of the the crow comic book mm-hmm. and so we're really stoked to see it come out and i liked the soundtrack a lot and he's like yeah i have almost never walked out of a movie without finishing it but that scene where he starts playing the electric guitar on the rooftop in the rain by himself and i was like oh that's right that happened <laughs> i forgot all about that yeah we should watch that movie we should so Yes. What'd you think? I thought that this was a delight. And what are the chances that we get to read such a spooky tale the day before Halloween? I know, it's very appropriate. I like it when things line up like that. Yeah, total coincidence, but really worked out well. And yeah, it was a it was a fun story. Mm-hmm. I don't think quite as good as the last one, but uh, it doesn't have quite the same impact. But still, well, a well-told tale, I would say. And there was a lot in it that I really dug. Indeed. And once again, we see the world saved from almost certain destruction. Yes, at the hands of a match-faced asshole. Remarkably cheerful visage for such a bad dude. (laughs) He looks kind of like, and this is kind of standard for the way that dudes whose heads are on fire in the Marvel Universe get drawn. It's weird that there's a whole subcategory of dudes whose heads are on fire, but there's two different human torches, one of the human torches' protégés, and this asshole. Mm-hmm. Oh, and maybe Surtur. I am not that familiar with the Thor stuff, but I feel like there's another mm. world-beating demon who has a, a face made out of fire. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he looks like Beachcomber from G.I. Joe. Uh, <laughs> but on fire. He also reminds me of, uh, you know, that company that makes like skateboard wheels, uh, Spitfire? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. But but like, but like Beachcomber, he's got those like lines on his head mm. that like... Makes it look like his his head is maybe knit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this guy had a knit head look. Wait, the Spitfire guy? Uh, Dormadu. Yeah, that's who I was talking about. Yeah. Dormammu. That's, I keep wanting to call him the wrong name. I don't know why. That's okay. Well, maybe because it's a crazy made-up name Dormammu. and you're unfamiliar with it. That being said, this was a really fun story. You had a point that you wanted to make about perhaps all of New England is getting painted with the same Lovecraftian brush. Yeah, so it's come up before that that we thought some of the Doctor Strange stuff has kind of a uh, Lovecraftian feel to the stuff that's going on, and and is and is directly referenced in this story. But the whole thing takes place in Vermont, and I, having grown up in New Hampshire and and read pretty much all of those books as a tween, I guess, pretty much squarely placed that all happening in Massachusetts, right? Which I believe is where all that was said. Yeah, it's Arkham, Massachusetts, okay. I believe was made, and Innsmouth, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And having visited Vermont as a older teen, it seemed like much more of a place where people go to ski and party and like vote Democratic, and, <laughs> you know, not or socialist. Yeah, as it may be. Um, and and you're not, you can't have air conditioners in your car. Was that a thing? I, I, I thought because of the Freon, they had some kind of a Freon ban in the state. What did they just just rip them like? You, right. To get the inspection sticker, you have to remove the, <laughs> the AC. Maybe. I know in New Hampshire, if you needed your car to pass inspection, you would leave a bottle of whiskey on the front seat for your mechanic and, you know, try to attach as much as you could with Bondo mm-hmm. and duct tape. Wild turkey, preferably. Yeah. I wonder what the equivalent of that in Vermont is to make your car pass environmental standards. Oh, I don't wonder anymore. It's a big bag of weed, isn't it? <laughs> it's how <laughs> you even ask. Yeah. Good point. Um... <laughs> So any Vermonters listening, <laughs> set us straight. Do you need air conditioners? Or are you allowed, not need, but uh, are you allowed to have them anywhere? I don't think you can have them anywhere. Wait, that's what I mean. You can't have them anywhere. Or can you? I don't know. That's the question. That's a good question. 
cars, homes, movie theaters. Those are all places. Lots of Freon. Mm. <laughs> there is, however, a specific reason why this story takes place in Rutland, Vermont. Would you like to know what that is, Corey? Indeed I would. Rutland, Vermont is a real place that really had a superhero-themed Halloween parade every year. No shit. That was organized by a real guy named Tom Fagan. No shit. Yeah. He was a local writer who had been, they had been doing this Halloween parade since like 1950. It had started to take more of a turn towards superhero type stuff in the mid 60s. And this guy was a big comic book fan and wrote a bunch of letters to DC and Marvel. And they kind of unofficially sponsored this thing. It's actually pretty cool. Rutland, Vermont, and specifically the Halloween parade at Rutland, Vermont, was the site of the first and this is totally unofficial, but the first DC Marvel crossover. Oh, shit. Yeah. It was a three-story arc that took part over the pages of the first one, I think, was in... I might be messing this up. I'm pretty sure the first one was in Amazing Adventure number 16, which was of the Beast from the X-Men fame mm. and Avengers fame, fighting Juggernaut. And they all end up going up to... Rutland, Vermont, and a bunch of comic creators are all in a car together, and it's Steve Englehart, who's one of the writer's cars. Mm. Then the next one was in an issue of the Justice League. Obviously, none of the Marvel characters appear in it, but the same comic book creators do. And Felix Faustus steals Steve Englehart's car in that one. <laughs> and then the next one was in uh, an issue of Thor, and it's the same comic book creators, and their car is has been stolen. But it's, so it's this, this continuous story that takes mm. place over these three issues. And it was a Marvel-DC crossover, but one that was not officially condoned by the companies. But I, I think that's pretty cool. And yeah, so Tom Fagan was a real dude. He apparently was known to dress up like Batman for the parade every year. But when they show him in the Marvel comic books, he's usually dressed as Nighthawk, mm. who was a character who was kind of a parody of Batman that was made up for Marvel. And we'll see. We may see more of Nighthawk in the pages of Defenders later on. Just saying. That is uh, quite a nugget. Yeah. So that, that was pretty cool. It is kind of odd that, like, so Tom Fagan's a real dude who is a friend, I think, of Tom and Gene. His depiction in this, he creeps them the fuck out. Yeah, I know. When you were saying he's a real guy, I looked down at my notes and was feeling bad for writing Tom Fagan is a creep. Or yeah. he's creepy. Yeah. He's drawn I, very creepy. He He's drawn pretty creepy. I wonder if maybe Ross Andrew didn't like him that much because what he's saying is just like, it's not what he's saying that's creepy. It, it is kind of the way he's drawn. He's drawn very intense and kind of offhandedly dropping this very arcane knowledge on Roy and Jean, who Roy Thomas is, of course, the guy who wrote this issue, mm -hmm. and his wife, Jean Thomas, I think is a very underrated writer herself. She wrote a series called Night Nurse, which only lasted four issues, but I fucking love that book. I want I like I got into it because it was like oh this will be can't be fun. It's actually pretty well written. I I, I really do enjoy the whole series of Night Nurse. And she also wrote the, Werewolf uh... by Night for a while. I don't know that one. Oh, he's a werewolf, but uh, most mostly at night. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, Night Nurse. I I remember you uh, talking about it in the the Bronze Age podcast, and I I just I'm only really familiar with the Gregory Isaacs song. Yeah, it's an okay song. It, it's kind of an earworm. It, it's though. catchy. But it was it was nice to see Gene Thomas in this issue. So it's like, oh, that that's that's cool, and it's nice to see a comic book depiction of Roy Thomas. Yeah, but yeah, their reactions to Tom Fagan, like yeah. when he gives his little speech about 
Oh, you're asking about these things? Well, let me tell you all of the creepy stuff about this town in a very offhand way, but that's just like, I've been waiting for somebody to ask me this. And he finishes this, like, page long. I think it's like on a nine-panel grid. Through all nine panels, he's just talking about all the creepy shit that's happened in Rutland, Vermont, and ending up with, like, how creepy Bald Mountain is and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then says, any questions? Which totally made me think of that David S. Pumpkin sketch. Hmm? Oh, I'll show it to you later. It's from the latest Saturday Night Live, which I don't watch very much, but mm. it's Tom Hanks. I don't want to spoil it for you when he says, any questions? Uh. That That is what reminded me of it. And Roy and Jane's reaction is like, not really. And they're just like, you can see them backing away towards the door, just being like, okay, gonna get away from this creepy dude who's dressed up like that, man. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. sorry, Nighthawk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they were freaked out by him. Yeah, so... That's the tale of Rutland, Vermont. And it had previously made an appearance in an issue of The Avengers, also. I did not know that. Well, that's why I'm here. Thank you. You're welcome. Other than that, what were some things that jumped out at you about the issue? Vermont also doesn't seem like a place where there would be druids. Well, I guess there could be druids there because it's woodsy. But sure. these guys... I They're... first... I read the black and white version first, which is, like, really creepy. There's all the shadow and contrast, and, and uh-huh. it's all spookily drawn. And then, then I read the color version, and these druids have pretty rad, like, different colored robes that all sort of They're go They're mostly purple, weren't they? There's, like, purple. There's some magenta. There's kind of a gray, like a dark blue, light blue. Like, well, here's the thing. They're pretty festive-looking guys. They're in Vermont, is, as you already mentioned. Is there a rainbow gathering? Well, I think that the idea is just like, all right, everybody get a purple robe and meet me here. And so they did their best. But yeah, some of them are going to be gray. Some of them are going to be like, you you make do with what you can. Yeah. If they're in New York City, they go down to Druid Robes R Us. Right. Pick up a fucking six pack of them. Yeah. and And then they're up to the gathering where they dance. They look like they're dancing and having a really good time. Oh, yeah. I gotta say. Oh, yeah. Like for a fairly somber seeming satanic ritual... Which, even the dude that they're summoning is just like, what the fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. Which, I really enjoyed that exchange. Man, everything Dormammu says to his lead, like, druid, yeah. is just like, I was like, man, that dude is the worst boss ever. Except... He's so mean. Yeah, oh, well, he's he's like a demon, though. Yeah, I know, but, like, if, like, th- these dudes are the one chance you have to become earthly and destroy shit like maybe i don't know don't be such a dick yeah i don't think he i don't think dormammu has a setting for not such a dick and the thing is i think he read this lead dude pretty well and he's like dude is super into doing satan shit doesn't really matter to me but he really wants to do this apparently he's been doing it for like 50 years or some shit Mm. but yeah he's like oh these rituals always meant more to you than they did to me he totally, it reminds me of in the Teen Titans one that we did last week. He fucking straight up wheezaxed that dude. <laughs> His response was only a startled belch. <laughs> oh, I bet they, I, Roy, Roy Thomas didn't write it in, but I bet you that the lead druid dude's response was a startled belch. Yeah. And he's not a druid, he's a Satanist, or... I guess not really Satanist, because Dormammu isn't Satan. Dormammuist. Or Mephisto is Satan, sort of. But I think there's actually also a Satan in the Marvel Universe. That's true. The amount of of devil stand-ins in the Marvel Universe is kind of astounding. There's a lot of them. Hmm. Yeah, we should stop calling them druids. That's kind of a disservice. Yeah. I think we brought up druids before just because Raven dresses kind of like a druid. And they are wearing 
hooded robes. Dancing around fires. And in Vermont. Whatnot. Yeah. We, get, we meet some other characters who are hanging out in various places. Mm-hmm. We first see the Hulk. He's just tromping through the woods. Yeah. Having a good time. He wants to be left alone. Yeah. And what? he's doing a pretty good job of it mm-hmm. until he gets summoned. Mm-hmm. And Namor is just chilling out. Namor is the classiest hobo. <laughs> like when they just show him he's just like yeah he's sleeping on the beach with a rock for a pillow taking a nap taking a nap wakes up in the middle of the night to feast on succulent oysters they look good of, yeah no he, and he's got a i think that was part of what the hobo thing like the way he's got like the oyster shells mm-hmm. half open you know like the lid of a hobo's chili can mm-hmm. he's living his best life i like namor so much he's great and then they get summoned by Clea mm-hmm. because Doctor Strange done goofed up bad. So bad. It's kind of fitting mm-hmm. the way that he goofs too. Because when his astral form, like when he gets led up into space by a fake astral form, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, not so fun, is it, Doc Strange? You did that shit the whole last issue. Oh, man. Yeah, and at least the ancient, the visage of the ancient one wasn't calling you a dumbass the whole time. Mm-hmm. Trying to hit me, Doctor Strange. Get to it. <laughs> I wonder if that was their first plan. <laughs> but yeah, so then his astral form gets sucked out, and then Wong does a really bad job kung fuing the bad guys. I, I feel bad. Trying for to Wong. fight by the rules, man. What rules? That puzzled me also. I, I was trying to figure out because so the bad guys take Doctor Strange's body that is unconscious because they made a spell that won't let his soul back in. Mm-hmm. Wong surprises them and it's just like, oh, I'm going to kung fu the shit out of you dudes. Mm-hmm. I'm really good at kung fu. And they're like, oh no, he's too much for us. If we played by the rules and then they punch him in the back. I'm like, are there some rules of a kidnapping that punching is against? They kick him in the face with their sandaled feet. <laughs> They did. They showed it. Well, he had sandaled feet too, though. Well, I just, it's hard. I just, to it, it's difficult to figure out what the rules are in this. When situation. were Birkenstocks invented? Those are a Vermont thing too, and I bet you if they were around, that is what those dudes were wearing. <laughs> I always thought they were German because the name sounds good. Oh, they maybe are. I don't know. They're from Vermont. I don't know. In my <laughs> mind, they're from Vermont. When you grow up in New Hampshire, they're from Vermont because anything hippie is from Vermont. Uh, <laughs> it's either from Vermont or it's from the Mosquito Coast Traders. Oh, the Mosquito Coast. Or Mosquito Traders. That traders. Was yeah, Mosquito yeah. Traders. That's it. it was in the mall. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Where else are you going to get your hacky sacks? Man, and your tie-dyed parachute pants. Oh, don't forget that. I owned a pair of tie-dyed parachute pants. Uh, it was a confusing time. It really was for everybody. It was. It was a very brief period where I was. Uh, I was dressed more like a hippie. In that was maybe seventh grade, I think. I think by eighth grade, I had settled into my fashion cues by Paula Poundstone look, <laughs> where it was. I wore the same vest every day. <laughs> oh my god! You should post that picture for the listeners because he's not joking, folks. <laughs> Every day of eighth grade. Yeah, same same fedora and uh, vest combo. Mm-hmm. There are little pins on it. Yeah, it's, yes, I, I took buttons. most of my sortorial cues, as I said, from Paula Poundstone and Rick Mayall's character from The Young Ones. He was the uh, anarchist? Yes. Okay. One of the things that gets brought up in this by Clea, who this is the first in the Defenders that we've seen of Clea. Okay. She is Doctor Strange's girlfriend and also his disciple. Which is a little bit sketchy, I think. But he rescued her from another dimension. And she kind of co-rescued him. 
I need to look into this because in my recollection, I think she might be like Dormammu's like stepdaughter or something. She has some kind of relationship with Dormammu, I'm pretty sure. Hmm. My early Doctor Strange knowledge is a little bit iffy. Steve Ditko era stuff, I'm a little hazy on. I need to reread that stuff. What I do know for sure is at one point, Doctor Strange and Clea travel back in time to the American colonial era and are taking a boat back to England with Benjamin Franklin. The boat gets attacked by a wizard. Doctor Strange goes outside to protect the boat from the wizard, and while he is doing that, his girlfriend and Benjamin Franklin bone down. Oh, I remember you mentioning that. And it's fucking delightful. Like, he's outside, and then Ben Franklin is just like, look, I'm having some breakfast whiskey. You want some? And she's like, yeah, why the fuck not? And then, like, it is very strongly hinted at. You see them, like, kind of cozy up, and Ben Franklin blows out the candle. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then the very next issue, that was written by Steve Englehart. It was the last issue that he wrote. The very next issue, new writer, it's Marv Wolfman, who was the editor of the title at the time, Mm. and did a ton of backpedaling and was just like, look, Doctor Strange totally thinks that Cleo was cheating on him with Benjamin Franklin, but that was just a crazy dream some demons made him had. I'm like, no, 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 they boned down. Mm. Why do you think he didn't want to go there? Mm. The 70s were a very different different time, Corey, and a lot of people weren't ready to think that Doctor Strange's uh, girlfriend boned Ben Franklin. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, nowadays, everybody loves it. Yeah. When Doctor Strange's girlfriend gets boned by Ben Franklin. Sure. Yeah. Hmm. Those were some dark days. Yeah, the 70s were pretty sexually uptight. I yeah, guess. I know. They, well, specifically in regards to Ben Franklin. <laughs> and interdimensional <laughs> girls with weird hairdos. Oh, uh, lady with a pretzel on her head could always do whatever she wanted sexually. Oh. Okay. It was really just Ben Franklin. Okay. Poor guy. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of interesting hairdos, Mm. I had always thought that Namor's head shape was just that he had a weird haircut. This is the first issue where I've had it referenced that I can remember that he has a weird shaped head that people notice. Oh, sure. Like, I had, I, well, I, I know it's, I know it's very like trapezoidal, but I had always thought that was just his haircut and nobody's ever commented on it. That that I remember re- reading, and I've been reading comics for a while now. Mm-hmm. It was kind of refreshing to be like, yeah, he does have a weird shaped head. He totally has a weird shaped head. Very identifiable. Yeah. And pointy ears, too. But apparently those aren't a problem. But they dress him up. He looks slick. Yeah, till, I mean, those weirdly shaped head can't even hold a hat. Well, the wind blew it off, Corey. He's not in charge of the wind. I'm just saying it might have stuck if he had a normal shaped head. I would think that that head would hold on a hat. If you could get the hat onto that head, I don't think that hat's going anywhere. You just stretch your hat. I think it might have been some magic wind. Ooh. Mm. Yeah, so Clea goes and gets Namor, puts a hat on him, dresses him up real slick, gets in touch with the Hulk. The Hulk goes to meet up with Clea, who he thinks it's going to be Doc Strange. Because I guess when she uses the, the Eye of Agamotto... It just naturally goes to the last two people that he was thinking of. Sure. Which, that could have been really awkward. Oh. Like. Super awkward. We don't know what he uses. Like, this is before the, inter- the internet. <laughs> I don't know what he's using his Eye of Agamotto for when he's alone in his crib. Getting strange. Like, yeah. Mm. Yeah, the dude's name is Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. But 
Fortunately, he had been thinking about the Hulk and Namor, and man, now I'm really hoping it's not for the same reason. Oh, <laughs> uh, probably not. No, I, don't I don't think, think so. so. I, Namor is a very handsome man. Still, though. Yeah. Seems now, they're colleagues. But he summons the Hulk. The Hulk runs afoul of some, like, street cops. Mm-hmm. They need a new fucking Hulk plan. Like, I feel like everybody in the Marvel Universe should know, like, all right, if the Hulk shows up... Just let him do his thing. Yeah, or I know you're a cop. you got to try to, like, try to talk him out, try to steer him around, like... Offer him some beans. Oh, man. I don't think they had thought of offering the Hulk beans yet. This mm-hmm. is still 1970. Once the Hulk gets into beans, man, it's 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 a whole new ballgame. This is pre-bean. That, that I believe this is a pre-bean... Hulk. I know that he makes his first appearance of the Hulk enjoying beans in uh, The Incredible Hulk number 182. <laughs> Congratulations for knowing that. That's... Well, I own that issue. Uh, <laughs> and I had to pay way too much for it because I really wanted it because it's the first time the Hulk eats beans. But it's very expensive because it's like the third appearance of Wolverine. Uh, <laughs> coincidentally, just... Yeah, who gives yeah, a shit? Just collateral I want it. I want... Yeah, I just wanted... The Hulk to eat beans with his friend Cracker Jack. He does love those beans. He does. So they shoot him. So, yeah, they shoot him. Seriously, bad plan. Cops, you need a new fucking Hulk plan. I'm not saying you should do this, but it would make more sense if you want to call the army. They have a lot of experience dealing with the Hulk. Doesn't always go great for them, but at least they bring some tanks and shit. They tried to do some Hulkbuster armor with uh, General Thunderbolt Ross. You know, they get the right puny humans for the job if you're going to fuck with the Hulk. Don't just have a couple of cops with fucking six shooters be like, hey, Hulk, well, Hulk's coming this way. Let's shoot at him. Has mm-hmm. that ever worked for anyone? No. No. And so the Hulk picks up a railroad train and throws it at them mm-hmm. and explains that he would do more if he was annoyed with at them. Fortunately, he misses. He was just trying to scare him, I think. I think so, because the Hulk is... The Hulk does a lot of things where it seems like he's smarter than he is letting on where he's just like oh how can i rationalize doing that what i am doing is dumb yeah because that comes up when he they're fighting the evil occultists and namor is like he's been out of the water for a while so he's not as strong as he would normally be he doesn't have the same like aqualad restrictions Mm -hmm. like he He doesn't have to have water every hour or he dies but he's more powerful if he's been swimming Mm -hmm. recently Mm -hmm. and so the hulk makes note of that And then picks up a boulder and is like, I'll just throw this boulder to show how strong I am. But throws it at a boulder that was blocking a river, that was damming up a river, and lets then that makes the water hit Namor. And I'm like, dude, you can just say, I'm going to let that water go on Namor. Mm -hmm. Instead of just like, I'll just demonstrate my strength by throwing this rock. That's the best way to do that. I don't know so much if that's the Hulk masking his intelligence or... You think that's the, just the, good the, luck? The, no, I think it's the writers being like, shit, we need to make some things happen. And we'll, well use the Hulk to do that. I, I think the Hulk is... I think it's a mental block that he has. I think he's a pretty pretty sharp guy. I'm not saying he's not. I'm just saying... But that, you're kind of implying it. You sound like somebody who wants to get smashed. I don't want to be smashed. Then you should maybe slow down on that beer, dude. Oh, 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 zing. Oh, that's a good singer. You got me. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Clea just happens to have a big handful of tranquilizers lying around. And at first I was like, oh, shit. Did, like, maybe Doctor Strange just has those from when he was practicing medicine? I was mm. like, no, he'd been de-doctorfied. 
Dedoctorated. Dedoctorated. Oh, yes. Is there a word for when you used to be a doctor, but you're not allowed to be a doctor anymore? Disbarred is just for lawyers, right? Dedoctorated. It's dedoctorated, right? I'm quite certain it's dedoctorated. Okay, so he's been dedoctorated for a long time. Mm. Like, I mean, he... He did a bad job, right? Mm, he broke his hands, and he had been a surgeon. Oh, so he didn't get, like, kicked out. I don't know if he got kicked out. I feel like he kept trying to do surgery after his hands were broken. And they're like, dude, stop it! You're making things worse. <laughs> You're a brain surgeon! You can't just mash that shit together. <laughs> uh, some of that may have been things that just happened in my mind, though. Maybe he still has his medical license. But either way, I was like, and then I was like, dude, you're thinking way too hard. Clea lives in East Greenwich Village in the early 70s. Yeah, she's probably got access to as many fucking tranquilizers as she needs. Do you think they're just lewds? Do you think they just gave the Hulk a ton of lewds? It did say that it kept him from getting too uptight, but I don't know if he was really chomping on disco biscuits the whole time or or not. I'm not really sure. I forgot they were called that. Hmm. Have you been watching The Get Down? That is where that (laughs) reference came from. I thought so. That was a wonderful program. Yeah, really reminded me of a comic book called Hip Hop Family Tree that Mm. is terrific that all of you out there should read. It's wonderful. If you have any interest in the history of hip hop, it's also the format of it. It's designed to look like the old Marvel Treasury editions, and it's a gorgeous comic book. And you learn a lot about the history of hip hop, which is fascinating. Indeed. So, uh, was there anything else about the issue you wanted to cover? No, I think we'll we'll get to it when we get into the... um... Minutia! Minutia! Well then, time to get into the minutia. The minutia is what we call the best of and worst of sections that we do for each of these issues. So, let's start off with one of the newer ones. What was the best sound effect? I have a tie. All right. Between two sound effects. Okay. One is from page 13. I think I know what one you're talking about. Mm-hmm. We actually just finished talking about the scene when the cops shoot Hulk and he gets mad and throws a train at them. <laughs> Good call, Hulk. Yep. And it makes the noise. Cromp! <laughs> Which is maybe a little subdued for a whole train getting thrown. Yeah, but, but it's it's good. You know what? I'll allow it. And Cromp was in fact my favorite. Uh, what was what was your other? The runner up was Froom. <laughs> Froom's pretty good. What page. made the Froom noise? It was on page twenty seven. Oh, I think that's the big the big battle at the end, right? Mm-hmm. The yeah, the like giant explosion. The explosion of Mount Bald Mountain. Mm-hmm. Yep, it froomed. <laughs> it froomed real good. Yep. Yeah, that's a very good call. The next segment is sartorially speaking. So, what was the best outfit in this issue? I had a, a clear front runner, and but I, I did have a, a follow up also. Okay. Is it one of the defenders? Nope. Oh. Okay. Then I'm going to let you go. So I think the winner of sartorially speaking is Clea. With her uh, super tall boots and, like, fur coat and mm. maybe nothing else. Yeah. And then the weird hair. like and the, the was, pretzel hairdo. Yeah, it was just a very striking and strange look. I I agree. that That is a good look. I really enjoyed Namor in his Doctor Strange's hand-me-downs. Dude's got on a nice wide tie. 
which we have been over the fact that That's a nice true. wide tie on a dude. Mm-hmm. He's wearing a coat with like big lapels, and when he puts the fedora on, I'm like, dude looks slick as fuck. Mm-hmm. Like, granted, the chainmail speedo is a good look in and of itself, <laughs> but dude looks slick as fuck. And I gave him bonus points because in the backup, dude's wearing a tight sweater. And I mean that in both ways and senses of the word. And I'm like, dude looks sharp. He does rock the suit. And yeah. it's, it's funny that he comments, he was like, oh, that's weird. Like, Dr. Strange and I are, must be uh, the same size. Well, and Bruce Banner says that too. And I always thought Bruce Banner was a skinny little shrimp. And Namor's like all... Namor's like buff, buff as shit. Mm-hmm. It's weird. So I, I think Dr. Strange just has, uh, maybe he likes just oh, flowy it's, clothes. It's probably magic. Oh, they're probably ma- probably unstable molecules. Mm-hmm. Magic suit. Yeah, magic suit made of unstable molecules. Mm-hmm. You can like Types wear it to Thanksgiving dinner and still look good. Oh, totally. Dude had tracksuits before tracksuits. Exactly. I like it. What was your favorite dialogue? <laughs> My favorite dialogue is is right kind of during when Namor accidentally becomes or is misconstrued as a peeping tom. <laughs> I like. I know exactly what you're talking about, <laughs> and he knows it's gonna. He's flying around the fifth story of these apartment windows, and this old lady sees him, and he sees that she sees him, uh-huh. and is creeped out, and he and he gets mad at himself, like when you're you're like, damn it, Corey, like you made a mistake. But the way he says that is, curse me for a wayward flounder. Yep, I had that written down too. <laughs> that was near the top of my list. I also. I can't use this because I feel like it's out of character, but when the Hulk says, ha, Hulk scatters them like ten pins. Ah. I'm like, that is a little bit too highbrow for the Hulk. But I think my favorite was the Hulk saying, best way to prove that Hulk is strongest of all is to pick up this big rock. (laughs) (laughs) That's just, that's some fine exposition. It leads to him destroying the dam that lets Namor get stronger. Mm -hmm. Good times all around. What was your favorite panel? Oh boy, I wrote down a whole bunch of stuff for this. This okay. book had a lot of good artwork in it. It really did. The artwork, I, I don't think we've even talked about it at all. Once again, Ross Andrew, beautiful work. Yeah, I think actually the first one I wrote was mostly about the artwork and then the following couple were just like panels that struck me as, as being very funny. Yeah. The first one was, was the opening spread on page one, which I called Frolic of the Jerks. Yes! Dude, that was one of mine, too. There's the one lady on the left. She's like totally... Where she's like, just down. like throwing her head back and it's like, yeah, come on, Satan. We're having a hoedown. Yeah. It actually reminded me of something you might see a much more crudely drawn version of in one of the Jack Chick Halloween pamphlets that warn you against Halloween, basically. The super Christian ones. I do not know of these oh, things. Oh, man. Chick tracks. That's what they're called. Yeah. <laughs> what an awful man. He died recently, Um, and so there won't be any more of them. But, uh, yeah, there were these little comic strip things, little flip-through books. You sometimes used to get them trick-or-treating. People would hand them out instead of candy and be like, look, if you're dressing up like a demon, you're just inviting the devil to have his way with you, and things will not end well. And, yeah, they're all just like, look, the devil's real. He wants you to do this shit, and you're going to be hosed. But, yeah, they're, they're... they're great, horrible. They're worth reading just because it's just like, whoa, this is some crazy bullshit. Mm. I had a book called like Lambs to the Slaughter or something that I think I found in a free box. It was a, a super Christian mom group warning that like the Care Bears and the Smurfs are your child's gateway into the occult. And then, you know, they're going to go to hell. But it's that kind of shit. That's weird, man. Yeah. 
My point is I really liked that panel also. Me too. <laughs> what were some of the other ones you had? Because, yeah, that, I, I definitely had that one on my list. Uh, the other one I have is on page 17, and it's after the Hulk has accidentally thrown some boxes on Namor, and it's dark, and they don't know what's happening, and they're fighting each other, and the lights come up. And <laughs> you! You! <laughs> that, wait, wait, let's try it again. You! Yeah. <laughs> That's what I titled it. You! I feel like that would be the scene in the opening of their sitcom. Totally. And it, the Hulk has him by the throat with his huge hand, and Namor has, like, a little, like, chunk of his hair. The Hulk's <laughs> hair. And that's, they both look so surprised. It's hilarious. It's, it's, that is really fun. One of the ones that I had was, well, I love it when Namor is just sitting on the beach eating oysters for a midnight snack. Oh, yeah. Sure. It just really looks like a nice time. So that that was one that I had. There's also one shot of downtown Rutland. There's a dude who's photobombing the, the panel. The skeleton. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's a dude dressed as a skeleton, like, photobombing the panel. And it's a really cool skeleton costume. The problem we come up with in, I think especially in comic books, but in any kind of media, when... There's a costume party or something, like especially science fiction things. And everybody's like, oh, great Halloween costume. When it's like, no, that's clearly an actual alien. Mm -hmm. Like, or an amazing costume. Why is everybody just accepting that this is probably a costume that this person's wearing? Mm. But in this, it's clearly intended to be a dude in a skeleton costume. Mm -hmm. But it looks like there's just a skeleton. Like, a kind of, like, muscly skeleton, but still, like... He has a skull for a head. Muscly skeleton. It's yeah. Yeah, he I lost know. Me at yeah, no, that's fair. Think slim, good body. Oh, then. It, I mean, he's not a skeleton. He is more of a visible man. Yeah. No, he was a good. That was a good educational tool. I like slim, good body. Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what other panels did you have? Sorry. Oh, it's okay. Also hilarious to me was on page 21, which I called Happy Dormammu Surprise. And it's when he's busting out of the volcano. And he looks so joyous. He's throwing his head back and his hands are there. He's like, Wee! It's like, that is the least scary dude ever. It's like he's bursting out of a cake. Mm -hmm. It's really fucking goofy. Oh, man, that would be the worst Doctor Strange birthday ever. Oh, yeah. It's like they wheel out this giant cake. He's like, oh, I bet Clea's in there. <laughs> And then Dormammu. Whee! <laughs> Here's Hellfire. Oh, no. Mm. That that one brought me great, great mirth. Understandably so. Which one of those was your favorite? I'm going to stick with the, the panel one, the, the frolicking of the jerks. The frolicking of the jerks is really nice. I'm going with photobombing skeleton. Uh, but I don't want these, the kind of goofier choices that I think we both went with to under, uh, underscore the fact that this is a beautifully drawn issue. And mm -hmm. it's really cool. And he does the best job drawing the Hulk. I, I, I love this Hulk. Mm -hmm. So, best defense... I wrote in big letters, Hulk smash. Oh, a bold choice. Mm. Why did Hulk get your nod for best defender this issue? I liked that he does some pretty smart things uh -huh. in the guise of stupidity. But, but, but namely the thing with the rock that enabled Namor to get back to full health right. to basically save the day. But there are two sides to a coin. Sure. And so conversely, the jumping ahead a little bit. I think that that banner is also kind of the worst. Oh, because so you're saying that Hulk is the best and Bruce Banner is the worst. Yeah, 
Oh, interesting choice. On account of the drugs, mostly. Yeah, that was part of, well, yeah, because he's just too, he's hopped up on disco biscuits to function for like half the issue. There's that whole scene where he's just like, these guys are fucking trying to kill me. Yeah, I just but, can't oh, get man, mad at them. I'm so slow and that just, Such a just bummer. doesn't bother me. You should be so upset right now. Really should be making me mad that these satanic <laughs> assholes keep trying to kill me, but I'm just gonna, uh, I'm just gonna duck. Yeah. Or sort of oh man, ducking feels amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I. That's that's a very interesting choice. I was viewing them as. A, I, I think you may be on the right track there. I said that the the best defender was Namor. Uh, he did a great job, and he wears a nice wide tie doing it. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. And one. although I really think my choice of Namor may have been colored by how much I loved his depiction in the backup story. I, I tried to weed that through it, so so my official reasons are he's just the classiest hobo. Like, just lying on the beach with a rock for a pillow, wakes up, slurps some oysters, just having a great time, is willing to put that aside. He's got a lifestyle that he enjoys. Mm-hmm. He puts that aside because his friend Doctor Strange is in trouble. And really, in more than one instance during this, subdues his prideful wrath uh, in the service of getting the job done. Which I know is not easy for him. Mm-hmm. Worst offense, I gotta say, he comes through at the end, but Doctor Strange does a shit job for the most part. Yeah, he was the runner-up for worst for me, Yeah, too. just gets himself kidnapped in, that, in, in a pretty transparent ploy. Sends his astral form up looking at it. Hey, hey, my teacher, why are you hanging up in the sky up there? Mm-hmm. I'll try shouting for you. You're not saying anything. Okay, I guess I'll go up there. It, what? Like, they were this close to just having a cardboard box with a stick propping it up mm-hmm. and, like, a picture of the ancient one yeah. inside it. When it's he like, comes up, we'll just, just like, yeah, when he, yeah, when he crawls in, we'll just pull the stick out. And the, the way, too, that he got back to his corporeal form really touched on what what you were kind of putting a point on the last issue of this idea of privilege with him. Oh, yeah. Do you he remember? just hitches a ride. Yeah. It was like fucking Han Solo and the Tauntaun. Oh, they, yeah. There's, well, he actually says that at one point. Where what? He, he says it's like Han Solo and the Tauntaun? Basically, he, he talks about... Like that he just crawled Wong's. inside of Wong for warmth. He said that, yeah, he used Wong's body as, like, yeah. a freezing man might use a beast's yeah. carcass. Yeah, for absolutely. It is uncomfortable. And he's in his astral form. He has a fairly close connection with Wong. He could have been like, hey, Wong, I'm going to do this. And Wong would have mm-hmm. been like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I I agree. It, he thinks of him like a, you know, less than human or something. It's like I super, think he thinks... Super I, creepy. Yeah, I like to think he thinks of everyone that way because that gets it away from just being racially uncomfortable and having it just be that Steve Strange is a dick. But I think you you might be right about that. His whole relationship with Wong makes me very Like a weird class, you know, master-servant thing. I don't know yeah. if it's other than that, but it, it was pretty gross. Yes, I used you as a freezing man might huddle within a dead beast's body for warmth. See? Total yeah. Tauntaun action. Yeah, he totally Tauntauns the shit out of thankfully a still living Wong. But yeah, poor Wong. And, and then Wong's just like, oh. Yeah, like, uh, thanks? That, that's weird. <laughs> Master, whatever. Glad glad that worked out. Ugh. Let's talk a little bit about the Submariner story. Oh, let's. Dude, I knew we were right about the moon being up to no fucking good. Just the wrong moon. This time. <laughs> Mark my words, Corey. 
That moon's up to no good. Man, those nipple-eyed moonlings were some bad... Oh, yeah, they did have, like... They had, like, pacifier... Rubber, nipples. rubber nipple eyes. Yeah. They weren't up to anything that bad, though. Like, they apparently, actually, th- this, like, they, and they didn't really even do anything. And, like, like, they're just like, yeah, when our planet comes by, it sucks all the water up. Sorry about that. It just stays. Well, in we here. keep we keep a little, and then the rest goes back. Right, but it's just what na- happens naturally. It's just part of the cycle. Like, some of it stays in our underground caves. We use that for the trip. Mm hmm. Namor is like, oh, you know what? I love Namor in this story so much. First of all, shows up at his girlfriend's house in Florida. (laughs) She's like, hey, baby. How's it going? You like my new sweater? He's like, Congress is trying to kill you. He's like, yeah, I know. They always are. Ah, well, guess I'll keep some secret underground water just in case. And then, like, hitches a ride on that as it flies through space. Mm-hmm. It's super fast, though. And he's fucking Namor the Submariner. Yeah, some fast water. Yeah, ends up on this alien planet, and they're like, and he's like, hey, 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 dude, look, we know you're probably upset. You think we're stealing all of your water. Most of it's going back. Everything's going to be cool. And he's like, fuck that. <laughs> Keep it all. Keep it all. You fucking starve those stupid land dwellers, because you know who needs water the most? Land dwellers. Wait a minute. Yeah. And the, <laughs> the aliens are all like, okay, I guess we'll fucking keep all the water. Good plan. Um, I don't know why we're doing this, but you said to, so sure. And then almost immediately he's like, whoa, what the fuck was I thinking? It is immediately. It's like in the same <laughs> word bubble. He's like, take all the water, fuck the humans. What? Wait a minute. No. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Don't do that. <laughs> Then the aliens are like, oh, we're totally doing that. It's too late. <laughs> like, nope. And, th- and then he's just like, no, you can't do that. And just like, yeah, smashes through, takes all the water back. I hope he left them some. That's true. He did open their pipes. Their underground caverns and pipes and shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then all the water goes back and he's like, oh, stupid humans won't even believe that I saved the day. <laughs> it's like, from you. And your plan was totally to kill everyone on earth and when he shows up that's my favorite scene in the comic is when he gets back to yeah, okay he atlantis. gets back to atlantis and, and all his brethren who look nothing like him yeah the blue big-eyed weird yeah well he's a mutant oh he's a mutant and I'm maybe half human i i'm because namora looks like him too yeah she's a mutant too okay they're cousins that's cool so he gets back there and they are um Frolic, or what is it? Cavorting ecstatically. <laughs> They're so happy that he's back. Well, if somebody took all of your air, and then, like, your best dude, like, your hero, I don't know who that would be, like, probably Hulk Hogan? Um, <laughs> like, uh, Will Smith in Independence Day? Sure, sure. Um, David S. Pumpkins uh, shows back up, and he's got all of the oxygen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you it's do. party you time. Happy You're going to have a little fucking center of the earth rave matrix style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that was a good cave rave. So, I, I, I mean, I get that shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a funny scene, though, but I like how yeah. he's just like, whatever. <laughs> I need to rest. He's <laughs> such a jerk. Storms. I love him so much. He's so great. I also really loved in this, there's a picture of the solar system. That's Pretty accurate. That's, oh man, it's like they're just, like, okay, put the sun real big in the middle, 
And then the rest, uh, I don't know. Just run some planet names down in some circles. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, all the planets are totally out of order, different sizes. It's crazy looking. And we see where this special hidden, it's called a moon, but it orbits around the sun. So it's clearly a different planet, really is. But they call it a moon, and it's a moon because it's up to no goddamn good. Good night, moon. Good night, moon. <laughs> Overall, thoughts on the issue? A delight. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. We uh, we had in a recent, sartorially speaking, in fact, the last one, hmm. uh, it came up that we did not know the difference between a cravat and an ascot. I think I did an okay job in that just cravat, Mr. Furley, ascot, Bruce Wayne. <laughs> but we did get a really nice feedback from somebody on Tumblr, a Bobby Mobetta, who told us, I'm just going to read this. I, I don't uh, generally read whole emails, uh, but this is, was really interesting to me. So on another extremely important topic, the ascot and how it relates to the cravat. I was previously most familiar with the ascot. I'd even go so far as to refer to myself as an expert on the subject, owing to the fact that I myself have actually worn said neck accessory. Once, when I had the high-profile role on my senior high school musical, an only slightly off-Broadway production of My Fair Lady, in which I portrayed the one-lined angry man, shouting at one point as Eliza and her dad are arguing on the street, Shut up! Once and for all, shut up! (laughs) I was quite proud. As well as being part of the chorus. For one major scene at the racetrack, all the fellows were decked out in full regalia, including ascots which we will discover are closely tied to the track. Therefore, I can tell you that the ascot is the neckwear in which goes around the neck, then meets back in the front to be bloused or puffed out in the space below the chin where one would normally expect a tie. Here's where it gets crazy, and I shit you not. You can't make this stuff up. It turns out that the ascot is merely a more informal, which seems ridiculous considering the exceptional high level of formality they now seem to convey, version of the cravat, a style of neckwear closely associated with King Louis XIV, who himself adopted this style from, wait for it, Croatian mercenaries. (laughs) Because nothing says hired gun like blousy silk neckwear. It is for this reason that the ascot is often referred to as the day cravat, and in the 18 and 1900s was worn at such informal gathering as Sunday horse racing. Hmm. So, that is the difference between an ascot and a cravat. Far out. So it's the same thing, just, like, tucked in? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> wow. Croatian but, uh, mercenaries? Yeah, Croatian mercenaries, man. Thank you for the email. That was uh, very informative. Yeah, I... It really does seem like more formal than uh, a cravat, because, like, Mr. Like, Furley wasn't going to a state dinner. Yeah. Or, like, um... Uh, Fred from Scooby-Doo? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thanks. No problem. Yeah, I, I just thought that was really interesting. Uh, so, thank you, Bobby. Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about? No, I think that about uh, covers it. Well, it's been a goddamn delight. Get your ascots ready and... Yeah, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. I love hearing from you guys. I've gotten some really nice letters and emails from you guys. I guess just emails. I haven't gotten any physical... Physical? (laughs) I haven't gotten any physical letters from you guys because I haven't told you where I live. And I'm probably not going to. Nothing personal. It's just the internet and all. But I've gotten some really nice emails and I really appreciate them. I've also heard from some people on our Facebook page, which is... uh, can find it tighten up the defense 
T-I-T-A-N. We've gotten some new reviews on iTunes, which I really appreciate, especially as we're making the transition to rename the show. That's really helpful for us, and it is, at the risk of redundancy, much appreciated. Thank you. Um, yeah, I love hearing from you guys, and uh, would look forward to doing more of it. We're on Twitter at, at TTWasteland underscore. And thank you. Now go out there and get spooked. That screechy scratchy As the full moon rose over the peak of Splash Mountain, terror spread from the plume to the ornamental fountain. One hundred customers had felt the dark wolf's bite. Why is that water park even fucking open at night? It's a werewolf in a water park. A hairy situation. He's eating all the customers. And clogging up filtration. System, you shot a silver bullet, but, but it missed him. Now he's climbing up the water slide. It all started when the park owner went to Wales. He thought that a new franchise there would do record sales. But while slogging through the marshes, got a new location. He was savaged by a werewolf who was on vacation. Now he's got a flesh-rending predilection. Due to his veins, he's lacking diction. Scary like Hillary McCain slash fiction. This werewolf's causing all kinds of friction. Because he's locked inside the park. And he comes out after dark. Swimmers like a shark. It's a werewolf in a water park. It's a werewolf in a water park. A hairy situation. He's eating all the customers and clogging the filtration system. You shot a silver bullet, but it missed him. Now there's no place for you to hide. Lifeguard. Okay, everybody out of the wave pool. I told you kids, no horseplay. And I told you kids to keep it cool. But how could he have known that it wasn't horseplay? But antics from a different kind of beast. All the splashing in the deep and all that frothing in the freaking was the wolfman slaughtering himself a feast. And the water turned red. It's a glass of wine that you offered to the wolfman, but you're wasting your time. He only wants blood in the afternoon And then to take a dip in Raccoon Lagoon But he waits half an hour after eating, okay? Cause he doesn't want stomach cramps to ruin his day It is itty bitty teeny weeny Whoops, there's nothing on his weenie Birthday soup, fruit, fruit with eyes all red from the chlorine So we 
laid under the moonlight and traded funny stories. Mine are always sexual, and his are always gory. Not like Jason Bateman or Michael J. Fox, more like a Lon Chaney Jr. who loves to fucking rock. His long hair makes him look like a rocker, and his ACDC t-shirt underneath his studded leather. He's my rockin' wolfin' brother from another mother. He's not misunderstood. He's just a monster. He's not misunderstood. He's just a monster. He's not misunderstood. He's just a monster. He's not a misunderstood. He's just a monster. He's just a monster. He's Mr. Monster. You can laugh. Now you can cry. You can say all your goodbyes to your friends. 